Hey, everybody. Um, you know, I had a kind of a long internal debate over whether or not I was going to even touch this topic yet again, uh, just because, well, I've harped on it many times before, but I can't help it. The CPI numbers for March were released uh, the week before last. And if you're not nervous, well, you either haven't heard yet or you're very rich. Um, so in case you hadn't heard, we're in record territory again. The uh, what they call all items index is up to 8.5%. And that's all items, meaning it includes food and energy. And if you're asking yourself why the hell they'd have an index that didn't include food and energy, because between food, energy and rent, those are our biggest expenses. Well, you can look up my previous rants about inflation. Now, this number, this is the largest year-over-year -year increase since 1981, yet again. And uh, if you're not old enough to remember 1981, well, we had kind of a confluence of things happening. We had a global economy heading into recession, or that you could say already was in recession, spurred by the death of disco, coupled by some angry Arab countries, one in particular that took a bunch of uh, Americans hostage, then released them. Uh, like the day Reagan took office, plus just the the general unrest of America as we uh, debated who shot Jr. and well, you mix all those things together, and oil prices were skyrocketing, kind of like they are now. What we didn't realize back then is that you use oil, or at least its various distillates, in the transportation of everything, from where those things are produced or grown to where they're processed or manufactured to the places they're sold. And hence, the cost of everything back then went up. Clearly, there was more to it, but let's face it. When you think about the 70s and inflation, you think about those long lines at the pump, and then you think about high unemployment, and then you think about why the hell they took Chrissy off three's company. But then you think about Paul Volcker's aggressive interest rate hikes, and then you think, well, it was kind of a mess. And remember, in 1979, unemployment hit 11%. Okay, so it was a different scenario than we're living in right now. And back then, they counted you as unemployed if you were just a slob that gave up and stopped looking for work. These days, with the numbers being totally skewed by the whole labor force participation rate bullshit, we've got really no idea what our true unemployment rate is. And at the same time as your great grandpa Biden is patting himself on the back for his miraculous reduction of our official unemployment rate to the comically fictional 3.6%, you can't throw a rock without hitting a help wanted sign. So we really have no idea just how fucked we really are right now. But either way, we're marching into record inflation territory and continuing to march upward. And with the addition of our new quote unquote low unemployment rate, wage inflation is going to make sure that prices continue to climb for the foreseeable future. But if you're a politician, you need to place the blame somewhere else. And once you've identified the culprit, you need to convince your constituents that you're going to step up and do something about it. And I know I really need to stop following Elizabeth Warren on Twitter, but she's the perfect example of someone who throws out such total horseshit. And she's been doing it for so long, it's almost as if she actually believes her own rhetoric, but you know that she doesn't. So... Anyway, she's been at it again. And because I love you and because, well, if you live in most of the country, you'd have no reason to be aware of the bullshit being shouted out by a pantsuited granny Karen from Massachusetts. I'm going to share a few of her recent statements with you. Here's a, a tweet from Tuesday, April 12th. 
Giant corporations are using inflation as cover to raise their prices and boost their profits. In industry after industry, we have too little competition and companies have too much power to increase prices. I've been calling out this corporate profiteering and price gouging. So there's a, a few more tweets that followed, but I love how Miss Warren, oh, and remember, this is the woman who had the balls to call Elon Musk the guy who's arguably the greatest innovator of our time, a freeloader. I love how she calls out the lack of competition in U.S. business, knowing full well that she and her ilk would tax and regulate most quote-unquote giant corporations out of existence given the chance, hence squashing competition. And by saying, quote, I've been calling out this corporate profiteering, that's like, it's like she's doing something. It's like she's saying that she's accomplishing anything. And anything, anyone with half a brain knows that sending out her dumbed down anti-business tweets to stir up her 20-something gender-confused base isn't going to make the slightest bit of difference. It might get her reelected, but it's not changing anything. And, you know, on top of that, it's just cheap and lazy. I've said it before. Input prices on everything have gone up, okay? There are sectors of the economy who've had crazy increases in profits, hint, hint, oil and gas, but that came after multiple quarters of losing money, i.e. negative profits during the lockdown. Do you remember when we had negative oil prices? So yeah, some sectors are seeing crazy increases in profits, but that doesn't tell the whole story, even though Warren, Bernie, and that and that angry midget Robert Reich would like you to simply believe it's profiteering by giant corporations. So anyway, uh, Elizabeth Warren's next tweet uh, in her little thread was about housing, of all things. Again, playing on emotions to stir up her fragile, angry white base, she wrote, giant private equity firms and corporate landlords are hiking up rents and taking advantage of the housing shortage to squeeze millions out of their paychecks. I've demanded that these companies provide answers on their predatory practices. Well, you want to, you want to know what their answers are going to be? They're going to say, we're not doing anything wrong, grandma. We're buying houses on the open market and turning them into rentals. The average American who spends $200 a month on cable TV, plus another 100 on streaming services, 1000 bucks on fast food, and has a $600 a month car payment, well, those people don't prioritize saving for a down payment. So we, the mom and pop landlords and the big guys, provide shelter for them. Sorry, the rents have outpaced their wages. Tell them to read books for a year, cook their own food, buy a cheaper car, and maybe they'll be in a better situation. But don't blame the hedge funds who are buying houses. And my next point is not about who should or shouldn't be let into the country. I am pro-immigration, especially under the H-1B visa program, and I'm definitely pro-Mexico, and I love our Hispanic brothers and sisters from south of the border. But it doesn't take a genius to realize that having no border policy is leading to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, over time, millions of people, new folks coming into the country. And every single one of them needs a roof over their heads. Again, I'm not arguing immigration policy at all. And I begrudge nobody for wanting a better life here in the U.S., and, and well, as long as we're talking tweets from politicians, remember Kamala's say it loud, say it clear, everyone is welcome here. That pretty much told the story of how this administration was going to handle the border. And there have been no surprises in that department. And I'm not saying that the flood of people who've been coming into the U.S. are responsible for the housing shortage. 
and therefore the increase in rents. But if I were a intellectually lazy Republican on the other side of things, wanting to, uh, you know, stroke my base and stir up anger, I'd blame the high rents on immigrants. You know, 90% of politics on both sides of the aisle is all about the emotions of a non-thinking, non-curious, charged up, angry base. And getting back to Liz Warren, if she wants to blame giant private equity firms for an increase in rents, well, fine. But once again, there's a lot more to the rent story than private equity. Anyway, you get the idea. Her Twitter storm uh, next continued with her calling out ocean freight carriers for driving up shipping costs, then big pharma for exploiting their quote unquote market power, and then giant grocery chains for using inflation to quote fatten their profits. Now you, you're smart you know that grocers have like the razor thinnest of razor thin margins and the growing shrink problem on top of everything else and upward wage pressure isn't helping their cause. But the theme here is clear. Warren tweets, writes letters, proposes legislation that never happens, all under this guise of standing up to giant corporations because businesses make great enemies, especially for her and her constituents, which never have and never will actually run a business. So, my long-winded point here is that if you want an easy answer for inflation, there isn't one. Well, actually there is, but give me one more quick second to dispel some other misinformation that's going around. Now, I don't know how successful that they're going to be uh, in their attempt to blame the Ukraine invasion for our current inflation rate, but the White House a couple weeks ago literally called our current inflation rate, quote, Putin price hikes. That's right. Putin price hikes. Now, I hope nobody believes that a war that's been on for, what, six weeks was the cause for March inflation numbers to skyrocket? And remember, February was like seven and a half, and the war hadn't even started yet. So did the Ukraine invasion cause meat, fish, and eggs to go up 13.7%? And was the war the reason used cars are up over 35%? Of course not. Look, the, the inflation issue is nuanced. It's complex. But calling our inflation Putin's price hikes is propagandist misinformation, full fucking stop. If you want a simple answer for inflation, well, you got to look at the money supply. Nobody wants to. And inflationary Fed policy happens under both parties. So it's never going to be a campaign issue. But I've said it before. Our expansionary monetary policy is really, if you want a single point of blame, the real reason for our inflation mess. Yes, oil prices jumped on the invasion. But look at Fed policy if you want the main driver of our CPI insanity. And again, this isn't partisan. You can't blame the dumb Democrats or the crooked Republicans because expansionary monetary policy crosses the aisle. Just in 2020 and 2021, before we even heard about the Russian troop buildup at the Ukraine border, the M2 money supply had increased by 27%. Okay, that had never happened before, not in the GFC, not in World War II, not never. Oh, and, and M2 for you sitting in the back is basically all the dollars out there in cash and checking accounts and reasonably liquid time deposits coming in under $100,000. So by printing these trillions of new dollars, which aren't really printed, as you know, because no one's using cash, but basically digitally minting money and buying bonds and securities, the Fed injects this new money into the M2 supply 
And then our benevolent geniuses, Trump and Biden, send out stimulus checks to everyone, including 90% of Americans who are employed. Then all that stimulus money that hadn't existed a year ago starts chasing after dirt bikes, RVs, horse trailers, PlayStations, Gibson Les Pauls, strappy sandals, Lego, Lego Star Wars sets, GameStop and AMS meme stonks, and on and on and on. And guess what? Like your economics textbooks told you, if you went to college before the late 80s, more money chasing the same amount of goods causes upward pressure on prices. It's really almost a physical law like gravity or Newton's third law. It just is. And it's not giant corporations and it's not Putin's price hikes. So all that said, and I know I'm repeating myself here, but hearing that smug Jen Psaki, who's really honestly the second coming of Kellyanne Conway, when she blamed this on Putin's price hikes, it just, it, it boiled my blood. Um, you know, let me just hit on one more thing. If you're wondering why I freak out about inflation so hard, well, I'm, I'm doing this for my benefit as much as for yours because I have this little number in my head as to what I need as an annual income for my retirement. And that number rattles around in my pea brain pretty much every day of the week. But that's the problem. It's a singular number. So I'm going to retire in six years and a little less than 90 days, and I'll be 59 and a half. I believe that I'm going to live to be 94, and long story behind that, but 94 is the year I've come up with. And that means that I'm going to need about 35 years of income. And let's just say, hypothetically, my number is around 75 grand. Okay, all good. So if I've figured out I can exist on 75 grand when I retire and my investments will facilitate that, super. Unfortunately, 10 years after I retire, that 75 grand is going to lose so much purchasing power it's very possible I won't be able to live on it. And um, Saifedean Amos, uh, okay, Saifedean, the uh, economist and author of the Bitcoin Standard and the Fiat Standard, which both books you should read now, um, Saifedean talks about the fact that the overall money supply is increasing by, on average, and has been historically, 7% a year. So all things being equal, right there is a 7% implied inflation rate. So that means the half-life of your dollar is 10 years. The half-life of your currency is 10 years. So if it continues like it has for the last 100 plus years, oh, by the way, half-life is just the time required for any specific value or property or weight or radioactivity to decrease by half, okay? So my 75 grand income that I might have arranged for myself when I'm 60 is going to be worth 37.5 by the time I turn 70. Then by the time I turn 80, it's going to be worth $18,750. Then by the time I turn 90, all things being equal, I'll be bringing in the equivalent of $9,375 a year. So I saved, invested, I forewent vacations. I drank Bush Light pretty much my whole entire life. Yeah, Bush Light. I wore the same three flannel shirts from LL Bean year round and then got like maybe two more every year. And that was pretty much the sum total of my fashion spending. Um, anyway, the point is I've managed my money pretty well. I've invested and saved and drove my Uber car when things got slow. And now to look at the numbers and if my number really is that number and I can't steadily increase it through my retirement years, 
I'm going to be homeless and eating cat food by the time I'm 90. So you might want to hit rewind and listen to those numbers one more time. But I'm going to sign off and just leave you with two takeaways. Number one, corporate greed is not the cause of our record inflation numbers. Okay, it really goes back to Fed monetary policy and the continual expansion of the money supply, making your dollars less valuable each year. Yes, I realize the pandemic lit a fire under the problem, but we can talk about that in another episode. But item number two, the half-life of your dollars in the rosiest scenarios could be as low as about 10 years. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind when you're spending or saving today, but also keep it in mind when you're planning your your what your golden years. If you're going to live... 20 or 30 years in retirement, plan on the value of your distributions or however you're receiving your income. If they're not steadily increasing, count on them being chopped in half two or three times before you die. And that's one to grow on. Hey, uh, in the next coming few weeks, I've got some really good guests coming on. So be sure to subscribe or follow this podcast. And as always, if you'd be willing to share this with a friend, especially if they believe used car prices are up 35% because of Vladimir Putin. Um, And if you could leave me a positive review, I would be seriously grateful. Okay, I will talk to you soon. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com. 